60,000 is brought to you in part by RP Funding. RP Funding Inc. is licensed and can offer loans in Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Kentucky, Louisiana, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and West Virginia, and is also licensed by the Mississippi Department of Banking and Consumer Finance and by the Pennsylvania Department of Banking and Securities. Office is located at 500 Wonderly Place, Suite 300, Maitland, Florida, 32751. Telephone 321-397-4420. RP Funding Nationwide Mortgage Licensing System ID number is 70168, and Robert Palmer's NMLS ID number is 76197. We're saving thousands with Robert Palmer right here on the Saving Thousands Radio Network. You know, Robert Palmer is the consumer empowering voice that you've been waiting for. He comes on the radio every single day to give you guidelines designed to equip you with the tools to better handle the good, the bad, and oh, the ugly of everyday finance, credit cards, bank loans, savings accounts, putting your money to work for you and hopefully without a whole lot of fees and charges and a whole lot more. And if you say, well, I really want to know about money, but it's so complicated. It really isn't. Everyday money, everyday finances is what we're talking about on this radio show. And we don't want you to buy anything. We're not trying to sell you a set of CDs. We're not trying to come to a four-day seminar in Florida for you to learn about money. Well, a trip to Florida wouldn't be a bad idea. But basically what we're trying to do is make it so that your family can afford to come to Florida for fun or can afford to take that cruise or can get into a house where you can build tradition or you can build a financial foundation and basically a family foundation as well. You know, when you're renting, everything seems kind of temporary. Your family should have a place where the kids can be in the backyard, where the family can have that very special place in that very special corner of the house for the Christmas tree and where you always have your family pictures taken and where the relatives gather for summer barbecues. That's what a home's all about, but it's also about not paying a landlord. So the more empowered you are, the stronger with money you are. And it's really easy just by listening to Saving Thousands with Robert Palmer. You know, Robert, let's talk about that for a moment. Basically, it is so easy for people to be empowered in the ways of money. I know we had no education as kids, and there's no real classes we can take now. But as they listen to you on the radio, people are going to say, whoa, I just had that light turn on in my head. It's really not that difficult. It's not quantum theory. It's treating every dollar for what it's worth. And Robert, it's it's easy. And the, the, the key is that we can really take control and do things ourselves. Yes, we can. And, uh, and, and so I guess the... The big issue is we have these self-limiting beliefs, right? And so the idea uh-huh. that we can't do something. And so I think a lot of people maybe look at credit and they say, I can't be responsible with credit. Uh, if I have credit, I'm going to screw up. You know, or, or Robert, I, I can't figure all these things out. You know, you're in the financial services industry. Of course you understand interest. And of course you understand late fees. And of course you understand APRs and annual you know, annual fees. I don't understand any of that. I'm not in the financial business. Why? Why can't you? You know, and, and so the one of the great examples that I'm going to give today in this speech uh, is so when I was young, right, when I was probably three or four, uh, probably four, my, my mom taught me how to play chess. And so, really? and so a lot of people think this is crazy, right? But what I want you to think about is, Rob, you know, by the time we're three or four, we can speak. We can speak English. That's we have right. learned a language. And what I will guarantee you is I can sit down right now and take someone who doesn't know how to play chess and I can teach them how to play chess faster than I can teach them a new language. I mean, would you agree with that That's statement? True. That's very. So I if, never thought so of that. So if a three or four year old can learn a language, which is very difficult to do, why do we think they can't play chess? Uh-huh. Well, it's because we don't try. And so because we believe we can't do it, you know, we believe, oh, well, that's too young to play chess. That's too difficult. Let me tell you, we are a lot smarter than we all give ourselves credit for. Very true. And we can do things that we don't think we can do. And so if you will just just believe and just take the understanding and take off that that self-limiting belief that says, well, I can't be good with credit. I'm not good at math. I'm not good with numbers. Just do it. I mean, there's there's nothing. Look, I don't have any magical powers you know, there, there's nothing different about me and you. We all breathe the same air and, and, and we speak the same language and, and we do the same things day to day. We, you know, we put our, our shoes on one foot at a time. There is no magic to this. There, I have no magic powers. It's a, a want and a belief that I can understand these things. You know, I, I dropped out of college. You know, I didn't, I wasn't taught everything I know about personal finance and credit cards from college or anywhere else. I made a decision to go out and learn it. And, and so what I will tell you is if you can strike down uh, any beliefs you have of things you cannot do. And this is one of the greatest things I have is I really I believe I can do anything. And, and, and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. Um, but what I will tell you is if you believe you can do this and, and trust me, you can. All right, the amount of math involved, the numbers involved, it is not 
It is not rocket science to be really good with personal finance. But for whatever reason, people shut down. Just like the idea, of if I said, hey, I want everybody out there to go home and teach their four-year-olds how to play chess, people are going to think, oh, that, that, that can't happen. That doesn't make sense. Why not? I mean, the, the, a four-year-old can learn a language. Why can't they? Why can't they play chess? And, and why can't you be a financial ninja? Why can't you be as good at understanding interest rates and APRs and everything as I am? And the, and the answer is you absolutely can. Uh, but you have to believe. You, you can't listen to me here on the radio and think to yourself, I can't do that. That's not for me. Because the minute you do that, the minute you put that limiting belief on yourself, the minute you put that doubt, the minute you refuse, the minute you make the decision that you can't do this, that this is too difficult, that this is too advanced when it's not, then you lose. And then you're not going to be able to do it. And on the flip side, you can't just sit there and say, oh, you know what? I'm going to be a smart, I'm going to be smarter financially and then magically become it. You've got to go out and invest the time and you've got to do the research. You've got to educate yourself and you've got to take advantage of resources like this show uh, in order to to elevate your knowledge, but you absolutely can do it. Uh, there, there's nothing magical or special. Certain people just make a decision that they're going to, mm-hmm. and believe you can. And if you believe, if one you believe you can, and then two you actually put in the time and do the research and and learn, you can absolutely do all the things I'm talking about by taking advantage of the grace periods and the billing cycles and the float time on credit cards. By taking advantage of paying, you know, instead of paying cash, financing something if it's zero percent interest and investing that money. You can do all these things. You know, you you can you can own investment properties, you can build personal wealth, you can become a homeowner. You know, there's so many things that we can absolutely do. Because what I want you to do is I want you to look at other people who do it and realize they're no different than you. Mm-hmm. If you're living in an apartment and one of your friends owns a house, what what do you really think is different? Oh well they have a better job than I do. Well that that's relative. That doesn't mean anything. There's people with worse jobs than you that own houses. Right? Oh well they they went to college and I didn't. There, I, there's people that didn't go to college that own houses. You know, all of these things, we can do them. You know, we are very, very intelligent beings. Our our capabilities are much more than what we give ourselves credit for. Uh, and, and maybe we should probably fit this into the rules somewhere, Rob. But, you know, I, I, you have to believe in yourself. And, and I know that that sounds so cliche. And it, it, it's been beat down by the self-help gurus. and But it really it really is a, a beginning point. And, and what I will tell you is just believing in yourself isn't enough. But if you don't believe in yourself, then then it's a non-starter. You know, if you believe you can't do it, you're never even going to try. Uh, or at least if you try, you have a shot at success. You know, Robert, when I opened up the show, somehow I kind of drifted off into home buying. And the fact that homeowners actually have so much more control over their future. They have so much more wealth than they would have if they continue to pay the landlord. And I know you've done a lot of articles at savingthousands.com and a state of eyes and real prospector on the very fact that if you take a family that's renting and let's say that John and um, Jim work at the same workplace, John owns a home, Jim is renting. And you've actually written articles that people can find on our websites that compare two different families without names, of course, but your articles have pointed out that the person who is owning a home is building up equity year after year after year. Okay. The person that's renting to be very simplified about all this the person that's renting, the only change in their economy they see is the rent goes up. If somebody buys a house on a 30-year mortgage, their house payment for the next 30 years arguably will be the same. All right. Insurance and property taxes may vary, but the basis of the payment will stay the same. Meanwhile, here's the other party over here renting every year. They're not building up any equity. They're not building up any financial foundation. They're simply cutting a check and watching their checking account go down as the landlord's value in his property goes up. So we really want people to know about buying a home. And folks, let me run you through a quick scenario. Instead of making the decision to buy a home and getting in the car and driving off to look for real estate signs, you must first be pre-qualified. You first got to know about, can I afford a home? And we're going to talk about that in length as the show goes on. But make sure that you find out how much you can borrow before you go falling in love with that dream house. We don't want your heart to be broken. But for most people, Robert, this whole world of finance starts off with their first credit card. And credit cards are a great way to get started and to build up credit, or it could go the other way. So kind of discuss credit cards, will you? Anyway, so on to, uh, on to credit cards. So uh, I'm going to talk about a couple of credit cards that I actually have, right? right? And, uh, and why I have them and, and use them as an example to kind of show people the big differences that an interest rate can have. All right. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to mention who my worst credit card is. 
And and I will tell you the only reason I still even have. So I got this credit card. Uh, when I got it, it was with a different bank. And then that bank went out of business and got sold. Like this thing's been moved around a lot. Mm-hmm. And and the interest rate got changed around a lot. Um, yeah. And at the end of the day, the only reason I even keep this is because it's a trade line that has age on it. You know, as we're talking about credit, if I close this account, I think it has like a, a fifteen or $18,000 limit on it. So if I close that account, then that's less available credit that I have, yeah. which can actually hurt my credit score by closing the account. So I keep it open and I'll use it at a gas station like once every two or three months and then pay it off immediately. Like, like literally, Rob, I will use it, get in my car, pull up the mobile app and pay it off. <laughs> like I, I don't even mess with the, the, I don't even mess with the whole, uh, you know, the, the whole float and the whole, you know, time. I just, I hate this card. Nobody's getting, on, nobody's getting interest out of you. No, absolutely. It's on my, it's on my credit, whatever. <laughs> but this thing's at like 29% interest. I mean, it's a, oh, it's a, te- it's a terrible card. And, and the funny thing is, so this is, you know, these are actually the, the two of the first credit cards I got. And so, you know, when I got this thing, I was young and I didn't have credit yet. And you kind of take what you can get. Sure. Right. And it sits at 29% interest. And then I have another card uh, that's through Mid Florida Schools Credit Union. I guess they don't call themselves schools credit. They just call themselves Mid Florida now. They, they used to be the Mid Florida Federal Schools Credit Union. Now they're just Mid Florida. Yeah. They, they dropped the schools because, see, back then uh, it was a credit union for anyone who was a school teacher. And now it's anyone who knows anyone who knows anyone who knows anyone who knows a school teacher. I met one of them. Right, exactly. If you've ever been to school, ever, then you, you, then you qualify to be a member. So <laughs> it, 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 you know, at some point, some federal laws changed, and credit unions were basically just be able to say, oh, well, uh, we our membership requirement is you have to have a pulse. Outstanding. You're a member. Got it. Anyway, so now anybody, you don't have to be, I mean, again, all you had to do was ever like know someone that went to school, or if you've ever driven by a school, or if you can spell school. You can join the Mid Florida Credit Union because they don't even call themselves Mid Florida Schools Credit Union anymore. But anyway, so I have a card with them that's it's nine point nine nine percent fixed. No which way! Is a great interest rate for a credit card. Yeah, it's a it's a Mid Florida Platinum Visa. It's got nine point nine nine percent fixed. This is like the second credit card I ever got in my life. All right. Wow. Nine point nine nine percent fixed. Uh, Mid Florida Schools or Mid Florida. They don't call themselves schools anymore. Yeah. I, I'm going to continually mess that up. Uh, they're based out of Polk County where I grew up, right? But they've got they've got branches in Tampa and Orlando now. They've really grown. And actually, I was at a Fannie Mae lender roundtable recently, and, and their head of mortgage was there as well. And really? we swapped some stories because yeah, I still bank there. You know, I mean, we we we, we killed we, we killed them in mortgage volume, but we had a good conversation. Sure. And, and I bank there. Great bank. Great great credit card. Uh, I've got I've, I finance a lot of my cars there. I'm a, I'm personally a fan of the credit union. I really am. I like the credit union model. Uh, you know, in 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 Tampa, Lakeland, I like Mid Florida. In Orlando, I like Fairwinds. Uh, but I'm a big fan of the credit union model. Uh, from my experience, credit unions tend to do a little better job of, of all the things I talk about here on the radio. Um, they're more transparent. They they don't try to be vampires with their clients. Um, and they do a great job at that on credit cards and car loans, the things they control. The problem is when it comes to mortgages, most of them just broker their mortgages off to some other company. Oh, yeah. And that company does act like a vampire because it's not a credit union. It's a mortgage company here, a big bank. Mm-hmm. And so we find I find credit unions are very, very competitive in credit cards and car loans and personal loans. But they're not as competitive in mortgages because they don't have the volume to compete. You know, where where when they're loaning out their own money uh, for credit cards and things, they can they really do take care of their consumer. But then when they're just going to sell the mortgage off to somebody else, and if they're going to keep the mortgage, which they do on adjustable rate mortgages, most of them don't keep fixed rate mortgages. They only keep adjustable rate mortgages. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when they go to sell that mortgage or broker that mortgage off to the other guy, the other guy is the vampire. He's the one with all the crazy fees and the crazy rates. And anyway, just my two cents. So. Uh, so let's say that uh, I've got a, I owe, let's say I owe ten thousand dollars on that twenty nine percent card, right? That's two thousand nine hundred dollars in interest. Okay, that's a lot. It's ugly. Big lot. You know, and uh, and then let's say I owe that same ten thousand dollars on my Mid Florida visa. That's only nine hundred ninety dollars. I mean, so right there, you can get a real clear picture of uh, the course of a year, the difference between these two cards. I mean, that, it's a, almost a two thousand dollar difference. I mean, what are some things you would do with two thousand dollars, Rob? I'm telling you right now, take that. That would be four cruises for me. Four cruises. That'd be yeah. four cruises this year. So the difference between having a crappy credit card and a, and a good credit <laughs> card would be four cruises for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's. I think that's awesome. I I don't know what I would I would I I fix that's like a really good TV and a really good surround sound system. Like you a could major. you could like deck out your entire entertainment room for two thousand dollars. It's a man cave. Uh, it's almost a down payment on a house. I mean, you're getting close. Oh yeah. You know, there's yeah. some loan programs where thirty five hundred, four thousand down. So that's a good, that's a good, uh, good step sort of down payment on a house. All these things just by having the right credit card. You know, and 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 moving a balance from a crappy credit card to a good credit card. And and this is the stuff a lot of people don't even pay attention. You're not saying no, my numbers are you? You're not yeah, going there. Yeah. Oh yes. Huh, rule number two: got to know your numbers. And rule number one: <laughs> you got to shop around. You know, when somebody offers you, and this this twenty nine is a really ex- extreme example. Uh, what I see most people is more more like 23s, 24s. Well, Robert, I wanted to kind of take off where I left off about home ownership. 
and the fact that before we go out and fall in love with a home, that we actually find out how much money we can spend. And that, of course, follows your number one rule of shopping around. Look for a mortgage company, look for the best possible deal, and look for an approval. I mean, talk to some realtors, talk to some people around town, and make sure that you're getting an approval that really works. And we'll talk about a validated pre-approval later in the show. So I want you to stay tuned. But once you know how much you've got to spend, then comes the question of who is going to be your real estate agent. And for, I would say, well over 90% of the people, they'll drive through a neighborhood and they'll see a sign. And there on that sign will be real estate agent Dave Dorica, let's say. And so you just pick up your cell phone and you call him. Well, here's the deal. As Robert has taught us, the person whose name is on the real estate sign has signed an agreement with the seller. See, he or she is there representing the wishes of the seller, all right? And hopefully getting the seller as much possible money as they can. So how does that represent you as the buyer, all right? That's where real estate agents at no cost to you have an agreement with the selling agent to, quote, split the commission, so to speak. And so you'll have a buyer's agent and a seller's agent. Well, how do you find a good buyer's agent? How do you find somebody that represents you in the buying transaction? And boy, there are some great ones out there. I mean, some of these people are tough. They're good negotiators and they get the job done. Well, what you want to do is hopefully you'll find a company like RP Funding that has all through the process gotten reviews from people borrowing money and they've gotten reviews from people looking for homes and they put those reviews together and found out that so-and-so, so-and-so is one of the best real estate agents in the market to represent buyers. They keep those names in files. And I can speak for RP Funding in saying that if you call 855-773-8634, 855-773-8634, and you say, this is the particular area of town we're looking in, can you suggest a buyer's agent or a real estate agent that will cost me nothing? That information will be given to you with all confidentiality, and you do not have to do business with that person or that list of persons. It's simply a resource of information. Okay, Robert, you did a show recently and an info module about improving your credit just by paying your credit card bill on a certain calendar date. Can you explain how that works to us? Yeah, Rob, you know, before we get into that, I got a question. You know, when you first came on the radio with me, right? I mean, because you were a radio guy, you know, and yes, I come on, mm -hmm. I'm the financial guy, and I'm like, all right, you know, we're going to, I'm going to come on the radio and I'm going to tell people all these hidden secrets that, that, that financial services companies try to use, to take advantage of them. You're a radio guy. I mean, what, what were you thinking those early shows? When I you mean, first came on, walk, I, walk me through it, man. When you first came on the air and I was your host uh, up in Orlando, I couldn't figure out where you were going with all this. And, and at first I was going, I'd say to the board operator, when you'd leave the room, I'd say, all right, no lender fees. He's the only guy doing this in town. Something's wrong here. I, I wonder if he'll be here a year from now. And here we are seven years later doing radio still together. And we've got a great future ahead of us as we're adding more stations because you came in with a combination that worked. But early on, I think everybody in town, I think everybody in the mortgage industry, I think most listeners were going, wait a minute, this is totally different. And most people, when they hear something totally different, totally brand new, an initiative, they kind of shy away at first because they don't know how you could make that happen. And so then I saw you come to fruition. And all these years later, I'm going, it worked. It's a big company, but it's still a company that cares. And you always did. But I thought, here comes a guy that's supposed to be talking about mortgages. And arguably for the first or six or seven months, we hardly ever talked about mortgages. We talked about financing. We talked about how to build up your money. And in the end run, that's how you get a house. That is. But most is. people didn't understand where you were going with it. And that that is part of your brilliance that you kind of went with this way and you became customer oriented, knowing that uh, what I didn't know at the time was that mortgage companies are not very consumer oriented. Yeah. They have the realtors they deal with, they have the builder they deal with, but they're, they're really not there to say to the customer, let me walk you through this step by step. I call them vampires. <laughs> I, you know, I refer to the mortgage industry as a whole as, as being vampiric, as in like a vampire, because it's like they want to suck the, the life and every penny out of every customer mm -hmm. they get. And it just it used to drive me crazy. So yeah, Rob, so one of the things you mentioned, one of the things you said you learned early on was was about when you pay your credit cards and when you pay those bills off. And and so one of the things that people I don't think understand is most credit card companies, like 95% of all credit card companies, they only transmit your balance to the credit bureaus, the people who generate the credit scores one time a month. And when that is, when your statement comes out, 
So if you think about the way that most of us use a credit card, even if we are the responsible person who's going to pay it off, when do we pay it off? After we get the statement in the mail. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is you go out there and you put $1,000 on your credit card, hypothetically, right? Let's go say you put 1000 bucks on your credit card and then the statement comes out on the 3rd and then you mail them a check and you pay it off. Well, then you put another $1,000 on your credit card. And so the statement comes again on the 3rd of the next month and then you send them a check and you pay them off. Well, the credit bureaus never know you paid them off because all they keep getting from the credit company is the transmission on the day the, ba- the statement came out. So to the credit company, you always owe $1,000 on this card. And your mind is zero because you pay it in full every single mm-hmm. time you get a statement. But the credit bureaus don't know that because they only get the transmission one time a month, and that's when the statement comes out. So a, a quick way for people to boost their credit score is to send that check in a few days before the statement comes out. So today we can all log in online and we can see how much is owed on our cards. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is I log in two days before the statement comes out. So if I know my statement comes out on the third of the month, I'm logging in on the first and I pay it in full. So when I get my statement in the mail, it says you owe zero. Minimum payment is zero. And just by paying it a couple days earlier, now the transmission that's going to the credit bureau is saying zero instead of $1,000, which can have a huge impact on your credit score. Hey, Robert, in a minute, can you kind of bring us up to date on when we should pay our credit card bills? I know you've done some shows on that before. But in the meantime, I wanted to continue this kind of home buying process that you've taught me and you've taught our listeners over the year. I just thought this would be a good time. We're almost in the new year. Some people have probably made a decision, a resolution. I'm going to buy a new home in 2016. So if people have made that decision, let's help them along. So we talked earlier about finding out how much home you can you can get. We found out about finding a realtor or a buyer's agent. But now I want to talk about something that's brand new, and that is TRID. If you've even kind of had discussions over the water cooler at work about buying a home in these days, somebody may have mentioned that Doggone it, I heard something on one of those late-night money talk shows about the government's got new regulations, and it's something called TRID, and maybe they don't know what all that is. Basically, let me spell it out for you. TRID is very important to you, the borrower. It gives you a lot of advantages that past borrowers didn't have. It's kind of a no-before-you-owe legislation. It's actually, in Robert's opinion, in my opinion and others, it's actually something that the government did good this last year, all right? There's been a lot of discussion of other things, but let's not get political. But with TRID, they kind of outlined a bunch of new regulations, a bunch of new methodologies for mortgage companies so that you are more a part of the transaction and you're kept up to date more times on what's going on with your mortgage. So yes, know before you owe. Now, here's the problem. A lot of the big financial institutions and likewise the smaller ones that don't move so quick because they don't have the technology we're scared to death about TRID coming into effect in October. Well, then there were smart companies. Robert's company was one of them. And I know he doesn't like to ring his bell, so I'll ring it for him. During the months leading up to October, the learned professionals and licensed professionals at RP Funding and the other Robert Palmer family of companies were studying TRID. And let's say that Jane and John Smith applied for a loan way back in June. The people at RP Funding were not only processing the loan as under the legal guidelines then, but they were also watching that loan process as it would under TRID regulations. So that when TRID finally came along in October, ah, this is old hat to the folks there. They knew all the rules. They knew all the problems that could arise. They were ready to handle the ball. So the government handled the TRID ball to the mortgage industry early in October. And lo and behold, there was a family in South Florida. They were in trouble. The loan company that was trying to get them closed under the other system was still dragging their feet and couldn't get the closing done. So they decided to shift their business to RP funding. And you know what happened? Then it was trade time. Okay, so it didn't take 60, 70, 80 days to close that loan. Robert Palmer, the RP funding people, took that loan from day one, the application, right through day 10, the closing. 10 days to make that happen. That is major, folks. So when somebody starts mentioning TRID and that it could be a problem, you just remember in your shopping around process, RP funding. Robert, we have an Ask RP. It's real simple. It's about credit cards. And the writer wants to know, is it better to leave a small balance or to zero out every month on the credit cards for a better credit score? What's your answer? Yes, I'm not 100% sure on this. So I I like the idea of leaving a dollar or two on there. Um, Uh I don't know, though. I I have kind of anecdotal evidence of both. Now, if you're, if you're worried about your credit score, then maybe leaving the dollar on there because some of the older credit scoring models 
uh, do penalize you for having no outstanding credit, no outstanding uh, credit card credit, uh, no recent utilization. Because the thing is, they can't tell you have utilization. Because if you if you run it up and pay it off, and they just always get zero, 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 zero every month reported to them, to them it looks like you're just not using it. When in okay. reality, you're running it up, paying it off, running it up, paying it off. But they don't see that if you're making the payment the way you're supposed to, the way I recommend before the statement drops. Right. But this is only when we're worried about our credit score. So there's kind of there's two phases in life. I mean, when you're just plugging along and you're not going to be borrowing any money in the next 30 days, it doesn't really matter. You know, pay it uh, pay it down to zero. Pay it at the statement due date, right? The only time it matters, the only time you should pay it before the statement drops and maybe leave a dollar or two on there is when you know you're going to be needing your credit. You know, if you know you're going to be buying a car next month. And again, if we're, if we're financial ninjas and we're planning ahead, we're not just on a whim rushing out there and buying a car. We're, we're following the three-day rule. We're planning ahead. We're making good decisions. We're budgeting. Uh, we're not going to find ourselves in a situation where we unexpectedly need to apply for credit. And, and so I would say uh, for normal course of life, just pay the thing off. It's easier to do. And that way there's zero and there's no interest and that's going to save you the most money. But if you think you may end up, think you may end up applying for credit, maybe, maybe leave a buck on there or something. But make uh -huh. sure you do pay it down before the statement is printed. Because once they print and mail the statement or once they generate the PDF, that's the amount that gets reported on your credit. So if you think about timing-wise, Rob, a lot of people, they will they will charge. So we charge $1,000 on our card, and they generate the PDF, and we get it in the mail, or we get it via our phone or whatever, and then we pay it off. Well, the credit bureau doesn't see that because all they get is the, the dollar amount that was owed when the PDF was generated or the statement was printed. Right. So if you want to have that dollar balance or zero balance, you have to make the payment the day before the statement is printed, which is not the due date. The due date is not for like another 20 days. This is before the payment statement is even generated. Uh, if you want to have that low balance reported on your credit. And uh, so that's, that's uh, I really don't have a definitive answer. Mm -hmm. You know, FICO does not give us the exact formula. Uh, from my own personal testing, I can tell you that some of the scores reward you for having a dollar or two small balance because then they know you, they know you use it and it's not just always zero and like you've cut them up and you know, they're, they're frozen a block of ice. We talked about that. We've talked about that in a while, Rob. Yeah. So yeah, I, my personal, I don't know where I heard this somewhere along the, the way. I don't know who, I don't know who originally came up with this idea. It was not me. Uh, but I'm a fan of it. So instead of cutting your credit cards up, you freeze them in a block of ice. So if you don't want to use your credit cards, take them and, and put them in a, a glass of water and then put them in the freezer and freeze them in that in that that water. Yeah. And so now if you need them, you have to thaw them out. And so it gives you time to think about it, right? So there you go. And you can't you can't put them in the microwave because they're plastic. So that could be the three hours. You gotta like yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you gotta like run run some water over them, or you're like in there with the ice pick trying to chisel the cards out of the block of ice. But it gives you enough time to really think of like. Do I really want this purchase bad enough? Like, like you're at home watching the infomercial on the Ginzu knives, and you're like, do I really want them bad enough to go in there and thaw out the stupid block of ice Robert Palmer made me do, and 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 then refreeze them afterwards? You're probably like, no, it's not worth it. Yeah, if it's a really important purchase, you'll go thaw them out, right? Like if you need to send your kid to college and you need to put the their books or tuition on your credit card, you'll go thaw the block of ice. But for the stupid spur of the moment midnight Ginzu knife, whatever, no, you're gonna you're gonna leave that in the block of ice and move on. Still to come right here as we save thousands with Robert Palmer. We'll look back on those fun days when we were all carefree renters. Remember that? When we were just out of our parents' home or we were just out of college and we thought, well, rather than jump into a home, I better rent for a while and figure out what I'm going to do with my life. But we'll talk about that and we'll talk about how hopefully that didn't last too, too long. We're also going to be talking about what I've been really pre-selling during the whole show, and that is getting yourself a really good pre-approval. But we've kind of been walking through the home buying and the home process, right? All during the show, I've been kind of touching on that in little capsules. So now let's talk about when we own the home, okay? And you're probably thinking, well, my mortgage payment is now $975 a month. But wait a minute, stop the train. That's not all that makes up your mortgage payment. And you're saying, well, sure it is. I talked to the loan company. They said my bill would be $975. Wait a minute. They weren't telling you the entire story. Okay, 975 is right. But when you're looking at what you can afford every month in a house payment, don't get carried away by falling in love with that house. We've got to do this practically. There's emotion and then there's practicality. And what we're talking about here is, in addition to the 975 mortgage payment, you are going to be escrowing or giving to the mortgage company an amount equal to one twelfth of your homeowner's insurance and you'll also be paying toward your home taxes, your property taxes. So it's 975, okay? Plus you're going to have that portion that's going to go to your property insurance and that portion that goes to your homeowner's policy. 
So those are numbers you've got to find out ahead of time. You see the house you want, you know what you're pre-approved for, but make the investigation of the taxes, okay? Either ask your realtor to do that for you or go down and talk to an insurance company and say, hey, how much is it going to take to insure 1209 Springfield uh, over there in Lenexa, Kansas? Whatever it is, give them the address, give them a description of the home and get at least a ballpark of what it's going to cost you per month to have that added onto your house payment. Make sure that you know that for the third or fourth month of home ownership, you're not just going to be a homeowner. You're going to feel like that home is a burden and that's not what we want. We don't want you to feel that way. But again, let's go back to the days we were renters, Robert. Oh, it was so much fun. We had the rental place and hopefully that we were trying to decide where we were going to live and what we were going to do. But hopefully that phase didn't last too long. And I know along the way, renting did cost us some money over the rent. I mean, I don't know about you, Rob, but I know back when I rented, I moved around a lot, right? Me too. Like, Ooh, you yeah. know, it, it was like uh, when the when the one year lease was up, I was off to the next place because they usually want to jack the rent up so much that it just wasn't worth it to stay. And so, if you take into account all the money you would have spent on moving trucks or buying beer to bum your buddies to come over and help you move, <laughs> you know, uh, U-Haul trucks, whatever it is, uh, all of that adds up. You know, and there's usually that period where you can't you can't seem to time it perfectly. So there seems to be times when you pay double rent because you can't get out of the one place in time to get in the next place. I mean, when you look at all the cost savings of home ownership, right, and, and and the power of owning rental, of owning real property, of owning property in this country, and the first step, right, that first giant leap is to buy a house for you to live in. That's where it all starts. Mm-hmm. You know, to to stop throwing your money away in rent, to stop renting a home, and to go out there and buy a home to live in. And that that's the first step. I mean, you can take it so much further, and you can keep that first house as a rental. And you can move into another house, right? I mean, you can you can perpetuate this. You know, you can build up a portfolio of rental properties so that now you become the landlord. You become the guy who's collecting money every month that then goes to make the payment while the asset is going up in value, right? So think about that, right? I mean, a $200,000 house, you've got a tenant paying you $1,500 a month to live in it. You're taking that $1,500 a month and you're sending it on to the mortgage company. And in 10 years, it will have gone up in value, roughly, you know, $60,000, $70,000, and the mortgage will have gone down, and and you didn't do anything, right? You didn't make the payment. I mean, you had to deal with finding the tenants, or you had to pay a property manager. I mean, I'm not going to say you did nothing, but when you look at the the potential earnings, and this is what makes real estate so exciting. Mm-hmm. Now, again, people are, people are scared. People saw how bad it can go, uh, and, and I will tell you, a lot of the factors that created that bubble uh, are no longer legal, right? Most of it was caused by the mortgage industry. Uh, you know, I, I did a I did a paper on this, Rob, back in right before the crash, and uh, I talked about how as home prices had increased, mortgage payments did not, because the mortgage industry kept coming up with creative ways to lower people's mortgage payments, right? So first thing we did is we gave them adjustable rate more. So let's say a, you know, let, let's say that this this two thousand square foot house, uh, the payments just for round numbers, the, the it's a hundred thousand, it's a two hundred thousand dollar house, the payments a thousand dollars a month. Uh, you know, and and it was a two thousand square foot house, right? And and so as the value went up, people didn't want to pay more than a thousand dollars a month. So in the mortgage industry, we said, well, how about this? We'll put them on adjustable rate mortgages, right? So when the house was only two hundred thousand, we could give them a fixed rate mortgage, and the payment was a thousand dollars a month, and people are willing to pay a thousand dollars a month for that house in that neighborhood with that amount of square footage. Yep. So now all of a sudden, the value goes up to two hundred fifty thousand. Well, the problem is people still only want to pay a thousand dollars a month. So we figured out, okay, well, how about this? We'll put them on an adjustable rate mortgage. Then we can give them a lower rate in the beginning, so they still have that thousand dollar a month payment that they wanted. And even though the house costs two fifty now instead of two hundred, it feels the same to the buyer because all they care about is the monthly payment, right? And so then the house went up in value to three hundred thousand. And so now we had to figure out something again. So now we said, okay, well, how about this? We won't charge them any principal. We'll let them make all the payment toward interest. So now that 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 same house that now costs three hundred thousand, well, if we don't charge them principal. And we let them just make an interest-only payment. If all they do is pay the monthly interest, still on that arm, that adjustable rate mortgage, the payment will stay at $1,000. So when we started this little exercise, <laughs> a fixed-rate 30-year mortgage on this house was $1,000 a month. Then the value went up, but to keep the, and the price went up. But to keep the payment from going up, we switched them to an adjustable rate mortgage. So now they could buy the same house with the same $1,000 a month payment. Well, then the value went up again. And so now our solution as an industry was, well, now we're going to have them not pay principal. Instead of a 30-year fixed mortgage, we're going to give them a mortgage that never pays off. It's interest only. And now even though the house costs 300000 instead of 200000 the monthly payment will be the exact same because they will pay interest only, right? Well, then the value, the price went up again. And so then the price went up to 350000 
And, and now we're like, man, well, we've, we've already gone from a fixed rate to an adjustable rate. Then we went from a, a mortgage where they were reducing their principal and making a principal payment to a mortgage where they're only paying the interest. What are we going to do next? Well, the only thing left is they got to pay less than the interest, right? We can't even we can't even get the interest out of them. And oh. so this is where the invention of what's called a negative amortization loan came oh, from, right? Those this days. is all back in the, and this is what caused it, Rob, because when the value went from 300 to 350, and remember, wages weren't going up, right? People weren't making any more money, so they couldn't afford to pay more than $1,000 a month. That's all they could afford. So we as an industry had to figure out how to fit a $300,000 sales price into a $1,000 payment. And when the interest, when the monthly interest is more than $1,000, that didn't work very well. And so what we figured out is, well, here's what we'll do. Because home prices are going up so fast, we will give them a loan where they actually, the monthly payment is less than the interest. So on a normal loan, uh, amortization, right? Amortization, this is the word that describes as you make payments, the, the debt goes away, right? And this comes, amort comes from the, I think it's the Latin word, I think it's the Latin word, Latin word to kill, right? And so the idea is you are killing the debt. So if you owe $200,000, if it's an amortizing loan, every payment you make, you are killing the debt so that at the end of the scheduled payments, it will be zero. It will be dead. It will be killed. That's the idea behind amortization. And when you get a mortgage today, you get an amortization schedule that shows you how those balances go down. Well, negative amortization was the opposite. So now with every payment you make, your balance went up, right? Because remember, the house price used to be two hundred, and the payment was 1000 a month. Now the house price is 350000 and the payment still needs to be $1,000 a month so people will buy it because they don't have more wages. They can't afford to spend more than 1000 a month. And we as an industry had a lot of liberties back then to do whatever we wanted. And so the industry came up with the negative amortization adjustable rate mortgage where the monthly payment you made, the $1,000 you made, did not even cover the interest that was due and the balance went up each and every month. So every month you owned the house, the balance went up, the balance went up. So Rob, the next phase in that price going up, when the home price went to 400000 guess what? We were out of tricks. It was insanity. The, in, the industry had nothing left. We went from fixed rate, amortizing, reducing balance with monthly payments loan to adjustable rate mortgage to lower the rate temporarily, to interest only adjustable rate, to lower the payment by not paying any principal, to negative amortization, which is making a payment that isn't even big enough to cover the interest. So the principal increases every month. So when home values increased one more time, we as an industry had nothing to throw at it. And this is what caused home prices to crumble because no one was ever willing to pay more than $1,000 a month for that house because we weren't seeing the wage growth, right? So that's what happened. That's what caused the crash. Well, this time around, this time around, there are laws that prevent the industry from doing those things, right? And as of right now, we have not seen adjust rate mortgages come back. We have not seen interest only come back. And you can't do negative amortization anymore, uh, except under a very, very tiny, tiny window that basically means it will never come back, which is good because this is how we're going to present, you know, prevent another bubble from happening. So now what we're seeing is people buying houses at higher prices are having to pay higher payments, uh, which is the way it should be, right? This, this growth in home prices is not being fueled by creative financing in the mortgage industry, this growth in home prices is being fueled by people willing to pay higher monthly payments for houses because homes were too low. They were undervalued, right? They crashed too far. And now we have recovered. Well, I hope that you're already learning. I hope that you're feeling empowered. And I hope that you will take my advice. And after the show, when you get a minute or two to sit down with your computer, your smartphone, your tablet, whatever, that you'll visit savingthousands.com, savingthousands.com. Because a lot of what we talk about right here on the radio show, a lot of the lessons that we learned from Robert Palmer are kind of condensed in a list of financial rules. They're called the Saving Thousands Rules to Success. And if you go on to savingthousands.com, look at the top of the homepage, you'll see a place where you can just click on the rules and there'll be a drop down and you'll get the 15 rules to success. Easy to follow and pertinent to you and me. And we're not talking about high finance here. We're not talking about corporate loans. We're talking about you and me. The ones who get a paycheck every week or so, maybe two weeks, maybe once a month, we get the paycheck. What do we do with it then? The 15 rules to success are your GPS. <laughs> they really are. You got a GPS in your car, or your phone. So where when you're traveling, you're going to get there on time. All right. But if you're wondering about financial empowerment, where's the GPS? Well, it's right there on those 15 saving thousands rules to success. You'll find that if you know those 15 rules, 
that's just about going to get that dollar covered. I guarantee you that. And you'll have more money at the end of the day, end of the week, end of the month, end of the year, and right into retirement. Simple as that. Robert, I've been promising all show that you will talk about how you revolutionized this pre-approval process so that the pre-approval letter that somebody gets from RP funding actually means something to where an, an awful lot of other pre-approval letters aren't worth the paper they're printed on. You know, I expected it to cost money, but in the end it didn't. And so let me, uh, I guess here's what happened. Once upon a time, right? We'll, we'll go back in history a couple oh, of years. No. So once upon a time, uh, I did that part the same way as everybody else, right? And so when I, when I came out and I had the idea, we're not going to charge fees, we're going to be more efficient, all these things. Uh, we, the pre-approval process, we did the same as everybody else. And so our loan officers, our, our licensed loan originators could just issue pre-approvals with no oversight. Somebody fogging a mirror. Yeah. I mean, we, you got we don't, job. we don't know because we had no oversight, you yeah. know, <laughs> maybe loan officer A was very diligent and looked at everything. And then loan officer B didn't look at anything and just issued pre-approvals. We don't know because there was no oversight. And, uh, and this is how most mortgage companies do it. Uh, and the idea, I guess, is that if, a, if the loan officer does a bad job, then he'll stop getting referrals from his real estate agents and he'll just naturally weed himself out of the industry. Okay. Right? I, I think that's, okay. I, th I feel like looking back, that's the system. No other mortgage companies really even think about this, but uh, I would guess that's the system they're kind of relying on, right? Because you screw up enough times and then you just wash out of the industry and you disappear. Yeah. Uh, that's not good enough for me, right? And so back in the day, we did not have oversight of our originators. And I had some that made some really stupid decisions and issued a bunch of pre-approvals to people that were not really pre-approved. And, and so I realized I had to fix it because this, this was a big problem. I mean, you can't give consumers false hope. I mean, the, I think the worst thing we can do as an industry is tell someone they're pre-approved if, if mm -hmm. they're really not approvable, right? Well, you're pre-approved, but I, then I can't get you the mortgage at the last minute. And, and things do pop up. Things do happen, right? I mean, this is very complex. You know, we, we get a couple weeks into the transaction and we figure out that, uh, oh, well, you didn't file your taxes or, you know, you, you had a foreclosure, you forgot to tell us about it, all these things. And, and so what I looked at is I said, well, we're catching all this stuff a week before closing because that's when we pull our broad report. That's when we pull our public record search. Mm -hmm. That's when we verify the tax transcripts from the IRS. Why don't we just do all that stuff in the very beginning, right? <laughs> and, and then this is where our validation team comes in. And, and on top of that, why don't we have oversight? So whenever a loan officer issues a pre-approval, why don't we have somebody else in the company go back and, and recheck their work and make sure that they're making a good decision, make sure they're making the right call, right? And that happens in the underwriting department because the underwriters are the ones that make the actual decision. And so your loan officer can sit there all day long and tell you they're approved. But if the underwriter doesn't agree with their decision, the loan's not going to get closed. Mm -hmm. No loan closes without an underwriter approving it anywhere, period. And so I said, why don't we have a, a group sit inside our underwriting department? We'll make them a validation team of underwriters. And their job is to go behind and look at the deals after the loan officers issue the pre-approvals to make sure the pre-approval is solid, right? And then on top of that, we, we deployed all this technology to automatically read the credit report and read the file and look for red flags so we could accelerate those and put them on the radar for the validation team even quicker. And since we did this, our pre-approval is now so strong, right? And so initially I thought this is going to cost me a lot of extra money. You know, and I'm sitting down mm -hmm. with Ingrid and I'm like, Ingrid, I got this idea, you know, for, for anybody who doesn't listen, Ingrid is my, my chief uh -huh. operating officer. And uh, so I, I sit down with Ingrid and I'm like, Ingrid, I got this idea. Uh, we're going to put this validation team together and we're going to start pulling the the fraud reports and the public record searches up front. And we're going to start pulling the, the tax transcripts earlier. We're going to do all this stuff. And, and she's like, Robert, that's going to cost us a ton of money. You know, yeah, she says that every day. Underwriters are not cheap. And, <laughs> and these fraud tools and these public records, like, there's a reason we wait till the end to pull them because we don't want to pull it unless we know the loan's going to close because it costs a lot of money. And I said, well, you know, I, I understand that. And, and I'm, I'm willing to forego that income because I really believe this is important. And I, I, I need to be able to know that we are issuing a strong pre-approval and that we are not giving people false hope and that we are not getting people to go out there and write offers on houses and submit offers, you know, and write contracts and get houses under contract only to find out later that they were never really should have been pre-approved in the first place. So we're going to do this. And, uh, and so she, she chewed me out in Spanish. And so I, I have no idea what she said. I mean, she, she went off on this Spanish tirade at me and I love her to death. And I, I really, I, I keep telling myself I'm going to learn Spanish. So when she gets angry at me and she starts cursing at me in Spanish, I'll have some idea what she's saying. But I, to this day, I have no idea what, what she said. She kind of stormed out of my office and, uh, and, and we put it in place. Right. And, and again, and, and, you know, and Ingrid, Ingrid loves, you know, Ingrid cares about our customers. Ingrid is, is, is a big champion of customer service as I am, but Ingrid's a little more conservative when it comes to the idea of us being a for-profit corporation. Right. Like I, I like yeah. to run this place like a nonprofit and, uh, and Ingrid, Ingrid gets upset with me because I, you know, she's like, Robert, you just can't keep giving all the money away. Like, it, yeah. you know, at, at some point this is about making a profit. And I'm like, you know, that, whatever we, we do fine. It's all good. So we put it in place. And so I would say about six months later, 
about six months later, Inger comes to me and and she's like, I got to give it to you, boss. She's like, this was one of the greatest ideas you've ever come up with. And it is actually saving us money. And the reason it's saving oh, us money, right. Rob, is because now we're not. Because you got to think when when someone's loan gets denied at the last minute, think about how much we we invested in that loan. Right. And so I didn't even think about this from a financial standpoint. I thought about it purely from a, a customer service and a reputational and doing the right thing for our customers. But when we when she looked at the cost of denying a loan a week before closing, after X number of man hours of processing and X number of man hours of underwriting and X number of man hours of closing and X number of man hours of upload and quality control and, and pulling all these fraud tools. Because the, the funny thing is, you got to pull the fraud tool to know the loan's denied. So you're still paying the cost, even if you're waiting until the end. Sure. Right. And so after all of her analysis, after six months, she figured out that it, uh, that it actually saved us money by putting this place. I said, well, that's great, Ingrid, then we can make our rates better, right? If we're saving money, let's, let's, get, more let, money know, let's get more money away. This, oh, this is no. absolutely great. And then she kind of cursed at me in Spanish again and, and left my office. But, uh, <laughs> but no, it really ended up being a great thing. And so it was a great thing for us. It was a great thing for consumers. But this was one of those like aha moments. I mean, we, we kind of tripped into it. Like I, I, didn't, I didn't expect it to be good for me. I thought I was making a sacrifice in order to help our mm-hmm. consumers. And then six months later, we realized that it was a, a great benefit for both sides. And I don't know why every mortgage company in the, pl- I, I see Ingrid walking toward the, yeah. the window. She, she's, she, wearing, she's wearing a hot well, pink jacket today. She walked yeah. by the window and heard yeah. her name yeah. a while ago. And yeah. She rolled her eyes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she's, she went down the hall. She's going to get somebody in <laughs> row seven over there. Um, but yeah, so it ended up being great for us and great for the consumers. And, and, and the cool thing is, I, I, I truly believe this, Rob. I truly believe that it, our customers now have an advantage over the the competitors when they're out bidding on houses, right? Oh, so you it, bet. if you get into a multiple offer situation, you know, if you if you go out there and you submit an offer uh, with an RP funding pre- validated pre-approval and then the Jones family submits an offer from who knows, never heard of them, sitting on his couch in his boxer shorts issuing pre-approvals with no oversight mortgage.com, right? You know, the seller the seller knows. The seller probably listens to my show. The seller probably just heard me give the entire dissertation on why the RP funding pre-approval is so strong. And we do a lot of marketing to the sellers and, and to make sure people understand mm-hmm. what makes our pre-approval different. Because it, it, I truly believe, and it's important to me, that RP funding customers have an advantage over the competition when they're going and making offers on houses, right? And because I want their offer to get accepted. Because I want them to get that house. I don't want I don't want the other guy's customer to get the house. I want my client to get the house. Sure. And so by investing in our pre-approval and investing in technology and investing in our brand, uh, we set our customer up to have the best possible chance of getting their their contract and offer accepted with that strong validated RP funding pre-approval. And the coolest thing about the RP funding validated pre-approval is it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't cost you a dime. I mean, you know, I- Oh, now I, wait a minute. You mean I don't have to file an application fee? Yeah, no, application yeah absolutely fee? nothing. And, and the funny thing is, and this is another one that Ingrid really gets angry with me for, when I tell people, just just use us for the pre-approval and then go close with, you know. So it, here here's my point. Let's say that you're buying a house and your mother-in-law is a mortgage broker, right? Now, I understand that you have to go to Thanksgiving with this woman. You know, you have to, you know, you are married to her daughter or whatever. Like, if your mother-in-law is a mortgage broker, uh, please do not shop around. Uh, please do not call us here at RP Funding. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't think I don't think ruining the rest of your life and maybe your marriage is worth saving the four or five, six thousand dollars $6,000. I mean, maybe it is to you. I'm going to say it's not. Uh, and, and because the funny thing is most people think, well, she's family. She's going to give me a good deal. Uh, it's, it's actually the exact opposite. And I can tell you from years of experience uh, where we would get loans in from mortgage brokers and and close friends and family got the worst deals because they knew they were the least likely to shop around. And so when we would see this, we would see like a loan come in uh, from a mortgage broker for us to underwrite and close and fund when I was at the other company. And, and we would, and it would have crazy high fees on it. And then we would notice that people had the same last name, you know, or they were some, some way related. And we're like, oh, of course, of course, you're charging all these fees to your relative because they wouldn't shop. Anyway, so if your mother-in-law is a mortgage broker, uh, I understand that you're going to need to close your loan with her Mm -hmm. because no matter how much money I can save you, it's not worth uh, sleeping on the couch for the rest of your life uh, or or going through a divorce and and then having to sell the home or whatever else. But I will tell you this, uh, get an RP funding validated pre-approval so that your offer will get accepted. So even if you have no intention of closing with us because you have some obligation (laughs) to go through your mother-in-law or whatever else, I still want you to use the RP funding validated pre-approval because it's going to increase your chances of getting your offer accepted. It's going to increase your chances uh, of, of getting that home under contract. Uh, and, and we're here to help do that because, I, you know, I, I don't care. It's fine. It, do it. You know, we're here to help. We're here to help everybody. We're here to help everybody uh, be smarter consumers. We're trying to make financial ninjas out of everybody that listens. So if you need an RP funding validated pre-approval, uh, it's free. 
Uh, it's the strongest pre-approval out there. It's got all these uh, layers of oversight and due diligence, and we can upgrade it to our validated pre-approval. And you can pick up the phone right now and give us a call at 855-773-8634. That's 855-773-8634. Talk to one of our great loan originators. Uh, let them know you need a you need a strong RP funding validated pre-approval, mm-hmm. and they're going to help you. And they're going to help you every step of the way to get you to the closing table. Uh, and, and the other thing is, so so let's say you get a, a validated pre-approval from us, right? And then so at the last minute, if your mother-in-law doesn't close on time, like maybe your mother-in-law leaves your file under couch cushion for two weeks, or or maybe your mother-in-law thought the underwriter was going to calculate your income one way and they end up calculating it in a different way and they decline it. Or maybe the underwriter for the lender that your mother-in-law sends the file to misinterprets a guideline and denies your file. If I already gave you an RP funding validated pre-approval, I can pick up the pieces and get you closed in like a week. So think of mm. us like an insurance policy, right? We're an insurance policy against you getting bad news at the last minute and not being able to move into your house mm-hmm. because the last thing anybody wants <clears throat> is to find out a week before closing after they've told the kids and they've registered them for school and they've planned the housewarming party and they've given notice to their landlord and they loaded up the U-Haul and they're ready to roll and then your mortgage guy, which in this case is your mother-in-law, calls you and is like, oh, hey, uh, Rob, uh, bad news. Uh, we're not going to be closing. The uh, underwriter recalculated your income, and there's a uh, payment shock and too many layers of risk. And you'd be like, hey, hey, mom, no problem. Thank you. You just saved me like five grand in fees because now I can go close with RP funding and not have to sleep on the couch <laughs> right for the rest of my life. And I can still come see you at Thanksgiving. And now I can make you feel guilty because you almost cost me my dream home, mom. <laughs> yeah, so that that's... That, that's how you can flip the mm-hmm. tables there. So think of the RP funding pre-approval as an insurance policy uh, if you do feel like you have to use some other lender because there's some relationship there, which I, I understand. I get it. Like, I mean, I, I would be upset if if one day uh, my my child got married and, and they wanted to use someone else for their mortgage. I, 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 can, I can understand that completely. Well, I can't believe it, Robert. We probably put more financial information in today's show than almost any we've ever done. And the cool thing is, we get to do it all again tomorrow and outdo today. That is what's so much fun about working with you. We have a great time every day walking into the studios and getting the job done, giving you the information you need to become empowered. And again, no commercials on our part, not in our part of the show. And again, we're not trying to ask you to buy anything, just simply giving you the tools. And that is Robert Palmer paying it forward and giving us the opportunity to join Team Blue. That would be the Robert Palmer family of companies and work right alongside him and empower you. That is a great, great job. It's fun to come to work each and every day. Robert, and I want to thank you. All right, folks, so you've got the radio show right on this very station. If you go to savingthousands.com, there's a place called Station Listing. You'll find other places you can listen to us as you travel about, okay? Also, you have that Saving Thousands radio app on your phone. You can go to iHeart on any computer, and you can simply in the search engine put in Robert Palmer. You can always go to savingthousands.com, spell out thousands. We also have some other web initiatives I think you're going to like. They give you a real insight into real estate and into what makes some cities just great places to live. And that would be a state of eyes, really a cool site, kind of um, rejuvenizing real estate, if you will, regenerating it for a younger generation. And then we have one called Real Prospector. That's really kind of an insider real estate site, but I think you'll find some interesting articles there as well. Well, having said all that, we can't wait to have you tune in again as we're all saving thousands with Robert Palmer.